It's really hard to understate how bad the repeal of the Affordable Care Act is, or it will be if it passes the United States Senate. It will make millions of more people sick, and it will kill people. This is Jonathan Tassini, and this is the Working Life Podcast. Cynicism is nothing new in politics. You all know that. It's a product of both parties. But the cynicism and stupidity reached really stratospheric heights with the House bill to repeal the Affordable Care Act. And I say that believing this, that what we need is single-payer health care, Medicare for all. And the truth is that the Affordable Care Act did fall far short of getting rid of the insurance companies that are literally killing people. The cynicism, though, among Republicans was so deep. First, they know this bill has no chance of becoming law. They knew that when they were debating the bill, and they know that today. The Senate, as many of you probably know, is going to write its own bill, and that may or may not pass. After the Senate passes its bill, which will be very different from the House bill, the two bodies of Congress, the Senate and the House, will have to meet to try to reconcile the differences. And as we saw previously, there are deep differences within the Republican Party about the nature of what the repeal should look like. So it's possible that it won't even pass. And this will keep on and on and on for months to come. And we'll be on top of this looking at that. The second cynicism piece is that they just flat out lied about the bill. And many of those people in the Republican Party, the members of Congress, knew that they were flat out lying. There was the lie about not kicking people off Medicaid when the federal funding for Medicaid expansion will be cut by $800 billion, which will guarantee that people will be kicked off. There was the lie that everyone with a pre-existing condition will still be covered. And that's a lie because they know, and if they don't know, then they're just foolish. They know that the high-risk pools that the GOP has concocted will cover at best about 5% of the people needing access to those pools and that millions of people then with pre-existing conditions will never be able to afford the high premiums in the marketplace. Those are the people that won't make it into the high-risk pools, which were going to collapse because of lack of funding. It's just a fact. And the last piece is that, let's put it very bluntly, this is a huge tax cut for the rich masquerading as health care reform. This is going to shovel about $1 trillion over 10 years into the pockets of the very wealthy. And that just sets us up then for the second thing that's going to come down the pike, which is a huge tax cut that the Trumpster is going to push through to give even more money to the very wealthy. But the third part of the cynicism, and this is what I want to talk about more and what my guest is going to talk about more today, is something that's getting very little attention. And that is that the repeal of the Affordable Care Act will mean the loss of millions of jobs and a massive hit to economic activity to the tune of $1.5 trillion, and that's trillion with a capital T, and that's over five years, from 2019 to 
2023 if you assume that the Affordable Care Act repeal will probably take effect no earlier than 2019. Think about that. Probably 3 million jobs will be lost, and there will be a reduction in economic activity of $1.5 trillion. Now, that's simple economics because there will be a huge loss of money streaming from the federal government into the system. So much for all that bullshit Republican rhetoric and the tweets from the ignoramus in the White House about the priority of creating jobs. Now, I wanted to dig into this point. So to look at this, look at the whole issue of jobs and economic activity and how the Affordable Care Act repeal will hurt the economy, I want to bring in Leighton Q. Leighton is a professor of health policy and management, and he's also the director of the Center for Health Policy Research at the Department of Health Policy and Management in the Millikan Institute School of Public Health at the George Washington University. And yes, that is a mouthful. He's a pretty smart guy. That's what we have to know. And he has a Ph.D. in health policy and a Master of Public Health from the University of California, Berkeley. He knows his shit. And Leighton, you know, one of the things that has been really important, obviously, in this debate over health care reform and the repeal of the Affordable Care Act is the impact on actual people. The fact that people are not going to have coverage, millions of people will lose their coverage. But one of the things that I think is great about your report and the work you've been doing is you kind of look at it broadly beyond the direct impacts on people's health and welfare. And, you know, um, we obviously don't minimize that. But I think what has happened in this debate, particularly from the side, the Republicans who have moved to repeal the Affordable Care Act, is they've not looked at this in the broader sense. And I actually had an image in mind that I wanted to give to my listeners, which is it's like if you look at a pond and you take a rock and you throw it into the pond, when the rock hits, that's the impact that to regular people in terms of the healthcare, but then there's all the ripple effects, and you in some way are addressing the ripple effects. So let's jump right into this. Give us the overview about, as you see it, the impacts of economic and employment consequences out there in the country. Thanks, John. So you're right. There's been a lot of discussion and a lot of analysis about how uh, repealing uh, the Affordable Care Act could have effects, particularly in terms of making people lose their health insurance coverage. And, and that, of course, is, is critically important. Um, we decided we would try to take a somewhat different tack in looking at that and try to think about what were sort of the broader uh, economic consequences, what were the consequences on jobs uh, created or lost because of these changes, uh, and, you know, part of this was, you're right, it's, it's certainly a, a, a broader view from some perspective, but it's also because it's the kind of thing that matters to different kinds of people for different purposes. Right. So I'm in the health policy area. For people who care a lot about health policy, how many uninsured people there are, how many people will become underinsured, and all those issues are critically important. Yeah, it's life, but there it's, are many it's, people, it's life and death for people. We understand that. Right. But, but there are a lot of people for whom those are not the most important factors. And one of the major ways that we think about any major policy change in the U.S. is what does this do to the economy? What does this do in terms of creating jobs or hurting jobs? And this is particularly important because 
you know, President and candidate Trump uh, talked a lot about job creation. Certainly, this is something that we've heard a lot of the congressional critics of the Affordable Care Act describe it as a job killer. And so we thought it was actually worth looking and seeing uh, at, at a point when, you know, sort of many people would like to be creating more jobs uh, in the U.S., strengthening the economy. Is that, in fact, what this legislation might do? Now, I'll start off by saying when this report came out in January, we didn't actually have a repeal and replace proposal. You know, there were, there was nothing that had been proposed in Congress. So the report that we put out looks only at what would happen if we repeal two key parts of, of the Affordable Care Act, the Medicaid expansion, and if we get rid of the, the, the premium tax credits that are used to help people afford health insurance and the health insurance exchanges. And you were able to look at that because, it, although you're right, there wasn't a specific bill, we had some sense of what the Republicans were aiming to do when they were going to repeal it, right? They, there was plenty of rhetoric out there. Oh, absolutely so. And in fact, there had been a bill that was passed by Republicans in Congress uh, in, in 2015 that actually got vetoed by President Obama that would have done exactly that, would have basically sort right. of canceled the Medicaid expansions, got completely gotten rid of the premium tax credits. And then we had things like uh, Congressional Budget Office uh, estimates of what the effects of, of legislation like that would be. But, you know, we realized that, that what Congress would propose in 2017 would look a little different because the truth be known, when Republicans passed that law in 2015, they knew that Obama was going to veto it. So it was mostly a symbolic vote. Right, right. You know, and, and what's changed now is that Republicans say, oh, my gosh, we have to go beyond symbolism. We have to do something with the chance that it might actually become law. And I think in their case, they're the... the, the the hopes that it will become law, the certainty they believe, because they now control both the Congress and the presidency. Right. So that changed the stakes. And so the new law is actually pretty different. I'll say we're, we're working on an analysis of that. Uh, we're, we're not ready to, to sort of discuss it in public yet, among other things. Even the Congressional Budget Office has not scored the, the, the bill that the House just passed. Uh, so, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll have some analysis about the actual repeal and replace bill passed by the House sometime soon. But I can, I can talk about what we found for simply repealing those elements. Yes. And I, I want to underscore before you jump into that, and then we'll just dive right into it, is that what you pointed out, you're dealing with numbers moving forward in the absence of the scoring of the Congressional Budget Office, which was so unusual, because if you go back and look at when the Affordable Care Act was passed, that was scored by the CBO. And in fact, the CBO scored an initial version of the repeal earlier this year, but the Republicans wanting to push this through very quickly, not only did they not score it, most members of Congress who voted for it had no idea what the bill even said. So it just shows us even more how crazy this is. But let's let's go right into what you were about to say about the actual numbers that you've looked at previously. Sure. So, so again, the what we reported before is is, is different than than what the the bill that was just passed by the House. So, what we did was it sort of the bottom line is we found that if you repeal uh, those those main elements of Obamacare, that uh, between two to three million jobs would be lost fairly quickly. 
in the U.S. and stating it would it would hurt every state in the union. Uh, there would be substantial economic losses in all the states. That is sort of uh, you know gross state products. That's sort of the equivalent of the gross domestic product uh, would go down by by over years. You know by trillions of dollars, uh, and you know business activity in all the states would slow down. Now, to some people, this is sort of this doesn't quite follow. So maybe it's worth going back a step. Yes, please do. So when we when we sort of support things like the Medicaid expansions and the premium tax credits, this injects large amounts of federal funding that's flowing from the federal government to, on one hand, either the states—that's who pays for Medicaid—and or to taxpayers in the form of the tax credits. Where that money first goes, because these are health insurance dollars, it first goes to health insurance companies and then to health care facilities, the hospitals, doctors' offices, pharmacies, etc. But it doesn't stop there. That's the first sort of direct effect uh, of this federal funding. What happens next is that these are businesses. So what we view as federal spending actually is revenue to them. And they use that revenue to pay their employees, to go buy goods and services, things like medical equipment, to, to take out, uh, you know, space uh, for the hospital or for their clinic, uh, you know, to buy all sorts of goods and services. In turn, the employees take the money that they earn from their wages or from their salaries, and they go do things that all of us do. They go to the movies, they go buy food, they pay for transportation, they pay for their, their rent or their mortgage. So they spend it in various consumer goods. So what happens is there's this repercussion effect mm-hmm. as money that first went into healthcare then goes into other segments of society and eventually disperses all through the system. And, and economists call that the multiplier effect. Right. That when you give a, a dollar to one place, that dollar gets respent in various ways and increases, accumulates value in other parts of the society. Correct. So that was the way that we get this sort of ripple out effect. That not only does it ripple out, and sort of in our estimates, we found that you know some of the effects of jobs lost were in healthcare. You know, roughly speaking, a third to half were healthcare jobs, but the other thir- two thirds to a half. We're in other things. We're in, in all across the economy, whether it's construction, real estate, finance, retail sales, you name it. And it's because when you do things that sort of take money away from, from consumers, this this affects everything because that's really sort of what's driving the economy in general is the extent to which people go out and buy things. Um, so it has these very broad effects. It affects every single state. And not only does it happen that way, but it actually sort of migrates from state to state. So, again, we were we were looking at two things. We looked at what happens if you uh, take away the Medicaid expansions, and what happens if you take out the tax credits. And so, to give an exa- a specific example for the listeners, as you point out, to go back, um, it, it goes through various. Industry, so there is the healthcare direct effect, which is a hospital might not build another wing, or a hospital might not add on another uh, rental space. But then that affects the construction company or the real estate broker who would have overseen either the construction or the rental out of the space. And then 
thirdly, after that, you know, if you get down to the micro, if there's a construction project going on, those construction workers at lunchtime, they take a break and they go down to the local grocery or go to the market to buy lunch. Right. And so this happens both to the construction workers. This happens, if you think about it, if they've gone out and they bought some food, then if they're not able to, you know, because if money's taken away so that construction job doesn't happen, so this construction worker doesn't have money to go buy lunch, it eventually trickles down to the worker at the lunch stand or the owner of the lunch stand uh, or the fast food place wherever they're getting food. So it, 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 it really has these broad repercussions. Uh, and, and, again, it can even sort of flow from state to state because people buy goods and services that come from all over the place. Right. Uh, and one of the ways that we could test that was uh, I talked about the Medicaid expansions. About uh, 31 states in the District of Columbia have expanded Medicaid, and, and other states have not. So we found that even if you do away with the Medicaid expansion, this hurts the states that didn't expand Medicaid also. Mm-hmm. And the way I give an example of this is, for example, Florida did not expand Medicaid. But if you do away with the Medicaid expansion in New York or California or some other states, this means that people are doing things like they're buying less orange juice. They're less likely to go to Disney World. So all those things have indirect repercussions for Florida, even though Florida didn't expand its Medicaid program. Right. And one of the things that I'm looking at in your chart, uh, which is very, very helpful, and this is really a message to the people who are not buying health insurance through the exchanges, presumably mostly people who may get health insurance through their employers and think, well, this isn't affecting me. You point out in this wonderful chart that state taxes then are affected. In other words, all the economic activity that we just talked about won't happen, and therefore there won't be taxes paid to the state, in particularly in sales taxes, and therefore everybody in the state is affected because then the state kind of contracts and would then reduce services. Is that a fair explanation? No, so this is one of the things that creates particular problems. So let's imagine a few years down the line. So not only have you taken away health insurance for millions of people, you've caused millions of people to lose their jobs. Right now, we might expect that you would sort of, people could get help through things like Medicaid or the health insurance uh, tax credits or unemployment uh, or welfare, in fact, or, or, or SNAP, the food stamp program. All these things, basically, now you've done things like you've forced more people into poverty because they've lost their jobs. You've made more people uninsured. So the extent to which the state needs to help people, uh, you know, should go up. Those costs ought to go up. But if the state's revenues have fallen, the state's ability to do these things has gone down. See, if you really created a tension for states where the demand for services to help people who have lost their jobs, have lost their health insurance, uh, et cetera, has gone up, but their ability to pay for those services has gone down. So this creates a, a real uh, double whammy in the system uh, in, in which uh, you know people will be hurt and the ability to respond to that uh, through programs has gone down. It'll mean some tough choices for states down the line. Right. And I also want to underscore and actually ask you to pick up in this point where we started to talk about the this issue 
that Republicans often refer to the Affordable Care Act as a job killer. And it was really the opposite, wasn't it? You know, there's sort of uh, people have looked at the extent to which uh, the Affordable Care Act, you know, could affect employment. And, and there were some estimates that it could affect employment. Our analysis basically points out that if you sort of take away this funding, that also hurts employment, too. So this is why, you know, it's paradoxical that a point that you hear so much coming from, you know, President Trump and from congressmen is, is they're telling, you know, we're creating jobs. However, the signature achievement that they want to have would actually kill millions of jobs. Uh, so it's, you know, it's, it, people need to be careful about thinking about these things. And it's not one of the, the obvious discussions, uh, points that come up, because people don't think about these indirect uh, effects. And also, we have to underscore, uh, I think, that in addition to the money not being spent because there's not this economic activity because of expansion. People also now who don't have health insurance are going to have less money and face potential bankruptcy. So they're certainly less likely to have the flexibility to be out there spending. And as we often cite, 70 percent of our economy is driven by consumer spending. That's correct. And so this is why as we, we you know do things that can restrict consumer spending, uh, then there, there's sort of broad effects uh, on the economy. I mean, one of the, the other things that I'll point out is that though we do say basically the negative effects we find occur in every state, if you think about it, it's going to hurt some areas more than others. So there are some states that were more reliant on Medicaid, more reliant on the tax credits that went along with the health insurance exchanges. And so if that goes away, in some areas, you might imagine things like a hospital needs to close. Uh, you know, other facilities right around that local area will, will be hurt. A lot of these actually are the areas that people thought were where Trump voters were. Right. So, so many of these things will hurt people who were uh, probably some of the core supporters uh, of the president and a, and a, and a large number of, of members of Congress. I don't think that they've anticipated this uh, or that the, the, the voters have thought very hard about this. So this is why we thought it was important to try to get that information out. Well, they're certainly going to find this out potentially in the next election. I, I am looking at your chart, and for example, um, Texas is one thing that jumped out at me as a place that will have a huge impact in terms of lost jobs. And you just go and you find, quote-unquote, other red states, Louisiana, Kentucky, uh, Indiana have huge job losses. That's right. And, and so there are these effects that occur uh, in, in a, a variety of areas. Again, I mean, you know, it doesn't really, at that point, whether a state is, is you know, Republican or Democrat, doesn't matter in terms of directly what the effects are, but it's affecting all the states, and, and it includes a number of states that were benefited considerably by Obamacare uh, and that could lose out. And so I know you're working on an updated version of this, and this is the way we'll close, and you can't talk about specifics about this, but what have you found, generally speaking, with the actual um, bill that's now passed the House and now is looming or uh, lingering is probably a better description in the Senate. The Senate will probably take up its own version. Can you just broadly describe, has it gotten worse? Uh, what's your view of the, the outcome? Well, from, from sort of the perspective that we've taken, it's, 
it's sort of mixed. The 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 sort of the bill that the House passed did not completely do away with the tax credits or completely do away with the Medicaid expansion, but it shrinks them and it changes the tax credits in a in a in a fairly perverse way, sort of taking away help from from low income people or people who are sick, and then sort of giving it to sort of uh, other people who are better off. The big change is that there were a lot of tax changes in the bill. Right. So particularly, it's been emphasized, and this is quite clear, that the tax repeals that are in the bill go 90% to people who are high income. Yes, that's correct. So people in the top quintile of income get 90% of the tax benefits. So this will help the economy for some people. Obviously, particularly if you're, you're relatively well-to-do, you're doing better off. But so that moderates some of the effects uh, on employment. But uh, uh, I would again, I, in a very I, skewed way. Yeah, I just want to point out though, uh, tax-wise, the higher income person, certainly people who are making at the one above the or are in the one percent, they tend to much more save their money. They don't need to spend every dollar in the same way that lower-income people do, just to make ends meet. No, that's right. So this is this is certainly one of the factors that works into it. Is that in general. Uh, you know, people who are, you know, working in these areas know that when you want to do things like stimulate the economy, if you really want jobs to grow and to have this happen quickly, you, you try to direct your money towards people who are low income. Because as you say, if you give uh, a, a low or moderate income person uh, $100, they're going to go out and, and spend it. Whereas if you give Ivanka Trump another million dollars, uh, it, it is not as though she is going to necessarily go out and, and, and spend it, you know, she may bankroll a lot of it. So, Leighton, we're approaching the reality that the Senate is going to debate their own version of the bill. Some people are saying this won't actually pass if it is going to pass until after the 2018 elections. But what's your sense of the Senate bill? Is that going to differ in terms of philosophy? It will differ in some details. I think it can't differ a whole lot in philosophy because some of the underlying guiding principles for Republicans and for conservatives remain the same. They want to cut spending. They'll probably want to reduce Medicaid because they sort of don't believe in, in things that, that help uh, low-income needy people. Uh, and, and they'll want to cut taxes. So those guiding principles are, are likely to be the same uh, in a Republican bill, a little different in magnitude. And then the, the tricky part in the Senate, which is tougher than it is in the House. In the House, they had difficulty balancing the desires uh, from the, the, the far right and the far left part. Not that the Republicans are about to get all that far in the left, but the, the, the far right and the moderate wings of the Republican Party. Right. It's going to be the same in, in the Senate, but even more so because the margin uh, is tighter there. And that philosophy then however, is not going to change your ultimate conclusions that this is going to hurt us in terms of jobs and economic activity if the repeal passes. I think that's right. I, th I would guess that in the end it will still be having a, a net negative effect on employment uh, and in, in, you know, in the economy uh, across the state. So it'll, have, uh, it'll be causing some pain across the nation one way or the other in addition to the fact that all, a lot of people will lose their health insurance coverage.
Well, thank you to Leighton. That really clarified that part. And I want everybody to remember that piece and spread the word about the effects on the economy of the Affordable Care Act repeal. Now, as I said earlier in the podcast, I've been an advocate for single-payer health care for many, many years. And I'm very critical of the Democratic Party for bungling health care, mostly by letting the blood-sucking insurance companies continue to exist. But I thought this clip of Nancy Pelosi, the House Democratic leader, was worth listening to. And it's from the end of the House debate on the dumbass health care repeal bill. Give a listen to this. Over 50 years ago, Dr. King said, of all of the forms of inequality and justice in health care, is the most shocking and the most inhumane because it often results in physical death. We come to the floor with the moral force of Dr. Martin Luther King's words in our hearts. Affordable health care is a civil right, a fundamental right for every person uh, in our country, not just the privileged few. And so in the spirit of Mr. Clyburn and Dr. King, let us be prayerful about how we go forward on this very personal issue about the well-being of every person in our country. Speaker Ryan once called this bill an act of mercy. An act of mercy. There is no mercy here. Indeed, inequality and inhumanity is exactly, that is exactly what Trump Care has in store for the American people. But when he said it's an act of mercy, here's what others said. From the beginning, Trump Care was a moral monstrosity that will devastate seniors, children, and hardworking Americans. That was from me. But don't take it from me. Sister Simone Campbell said, this is not the faithful way forward and must be rejected. The Catholic Health Association wrote, we strongly encourage the full house to reject this replacement bill. And the United Methodist Church said, opposing Trump Care, this is what they said, people will die because of efforts like this to roll back health care. Lutheran Services in America said Trump Care will jeopardize the health care and long-term services and support of millions of Americans. The Episcopal Church uh, said Trump Care falls woefully short of our spiritual calling to care for the least of these as well as the noble values upon which our great nation was founded. End of quote. And, be, and all that was said before the Republicans decided to destroy the protections of Americans with pre-existing conditions. I grant our Republican friends their position. I respect them and their constituents who sent them here. But I reject the wrong priorities in Trump care. Tax cuts for the rich at the expense of health insurance for tens of millions of working families across America. Trump care very clearly spotlights the differences in priorities between Democrats and Republicans in Congress. It has stepped forward in the long-standing Republican belief that Medicare should wither on the vine, that Medicaid should be shrunken, and that Social Security should be privatized. If you believe in the health and well-being of the American people, you must reject this bill before us now. It is what Trump care Here's what it means for the American people. You know, much has been said about policy here today and over time. Much has been said about politics. What are the politics of this? What's really important is what this means to the American people. And they know. They are listening. They know what it means to them. And it means, Trump Care does, 
It forces families to pay higher premiums and deductibles, increasing out-of-pocket costs. Higher cost, less coverage. Trump Care will take away health care from uh, more than 24 million hardworking Americans. A crushing age tax. Trump Care forces Americans aged 50 to 64 to pay premiums five times higher than what others pay for health coverage, no matter how healthy they are. Steals from Medicare. Steals from Medicare. Trump Care shortens the life of Medicare trust fund and ransacks funds that seniors depend on to get long-term care uh, they need. That's why it's consistent with their wither on the vine for Medicare philosophy. And then, if that were not bad enough, and they couldn't pass their bill because it was that bad, they moved further away from the American people by gutting key protections. Trump care eviscerates essential health benefits such as maternity care, prescription drugs, emergency coverage, prenatal care, and guts protections for Americans with pre-existing medical conditions. As bad as Trump care was the first time around, you know, it was dead. It died. It died right here on the floor. Now it's come back to life like a zombie, even more scary than before. And it is even worse. If Republicans have their way, Americans with pre-existing conditions will be pushed off their insurance and segregated into high-risk pools where they will face soaring costs, worse coverage, and restricted care. Trump care means huge premium increases. It's frightening future for families who need affordable, dependable care the most. Now on the floor, the Republicans have recklessly, and some would say fraudulently, claimed that Trump Care covers Americans with pre-existing conditions. It does not. It does not. As Robert Grabois at the Conservative Mercatus Center said about the Upton Amendment, the $8 billion amount is a pittance. Spread over five years, it is a fifth of a pittance. As the Karen Polis from the Kauser Family Foundation said, the Upton Amendment would cover the cost for only 1% of the individual market. Others have given it up to 5%, 1 to 5%. Does that mean covering? No. Forcing a vote without a CBO score shows that the Republicans are afraid of the facts. They're afraid of learning the full consequences of their plan to push Americans with pre-existing conditions into the cold, or as my colleague from New York said, into the, off the sidewalk. If Republicans thought they were really protecting people, they wouldn't be afraid of the facts. But they're also afraid of the truth, and the truth that would come forth if we knew the facts. And they're afraid that the American people will find out that this is not a health care bill. This is a tax bill disguised as a health bill. This is a bill that is the biggest, one of the biggest transfers of wealth from the middle class to the richest people and corporations in America. It's a tax bill, not a health care bill. That's why they have to do it now, so they can get on with their tax bill. But the suffering Trump car 
will inflict on the sick is all too clear. That is why this disastrous bill has been condemned by the American Medical Association, the American Cancer Society, the American Diabetes Society, the American Diabetes Association, the American Heart Association, the American Lung Association, the American Society of Clinical Oncology, the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, AIDS United, the Children's Hospital Association, AARP, the March of Dimes, the list goes on and on on and on, the American Cancer Society. Well, instead of reading all of these pages, I will submit them without objection for the record. Without objection. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Under Trump Care, families, seniors, vulnerable children, Americans with disabilities, people struggling to overcome addiction, and the sick will lose their health care. Rural hospitals will be closed. Nearly two million jobs will be destroyed across America. Seven million veterans will lose access to tax credits for health care. And all of this to give a massive tax cut to the richest in America. Trump Care is a billionaire's tax cut, again, disguised as a health care bill. It's Robin Hood in reverse, one of the largest, again, transfers of wealth from working families to the rich in our country. Today, we have the we honor the visions of our founders, we can, who risk everything. They risk everything, their lives, their liberty, their sacred honor, to advance a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The life, a healthier life, the freedom to pursue your happiness, the freedom from being job-locked or policy-locked because of what the Republicans want to do today. Today, we fight to preserve affordable health care as the right of every American, again, not the privileged few. Today, we fight for children like Zoe Madison Lynn. Zoe was born with a, a congenital heart defect in May of 2010. She faced her first of three heart surgeries at 15 hours. By six months old, Zoe was halfway to her lifetime limit her insurer had placed on her. She faced a grim future, not only using up her lifetime limit by preschool, by preschool, but by carrying a pre-existing condition that will require attention and care for the rest of her life. Under the Affordable Care Act, Zoe is protected, but Trump Care puts her future in danger. I wish that our members who vote for this bill had better I hope you make time to sit down with the parents of a newborn or with a heart condition or a young woman who just learned she had breast cancer, the family of loved ones struggling with a disease or a chronic condition, any of the tens of millions of Americans who are rightfully terrified of what Trump care will mean in their lives. Mr. Speaker, we have with this bill a, right, a wonderful opportunity. This is one of the best civics lessons we can engage in. Because of what happened following the election, the American people are engaged. They are paying attention. I'm not saying in a political way. I'm saying in a personal way. A former speaker said all politics is local. In the case of health care, all politics is, is personal. All politics is personal when it comes to health care. And so this civics lesson will teach the American people a number of things. As special as we think we are when we come to the floor here, most Americans don't know who their member of Congress is. But they will now when they find out that you voted to take away their health care in IRS. 
They will know when you put an age tax on them or undermine Medicare and Medicaid and the rest. Oh yeah, they're paying attention because it's really personal with them and their families. So I think we have to be ready for that. Our members, our colleagues who, who have the mantle of being a moderate, you vote for this bill, you have walked the plank from moderate to radical. And you're walking the plank for what? A bill that will not be accepted by the United States Senate. Why are you doing this? Do you believe in what is in this bill? Some of you have said, well, they'll fix it in the Senate. But you have every provision of this bill tattooed on your forehead. You will glow in the dark on this one. You will glow in the dark. You will glow in the dark. Now it's time for the Robert Barron of the week. And I guess sometime it's going to happen that I'm going to have repeat honorees here in this corner. Back in episode 20, which was two months ago now, and you can go back into the archives and listen to any of our podcasts at workinglife.org, you may remember that I anointed Paul Ryan and his gang of Republicans when they first introduced the first version of what I call the Make America Sick Again Act, or MASA. And that is, of course, the ACA repeal. Well, so naturally, it's appropriate, just days after they went ahead and passed this pile of crap, that they get the crown again. So for consigning millions of Americans to bankruptcy, for making sure that millions of people will be sick and many more will die, Paul Ryan is the robber baron of the week. That'll do it for this week's podcast. I want to thank my guest, Leighton Q, who gave us incredible insights into the effect that the Affordable Care Act will have on the economy. Our audio editor, as usual, is David Hebden. I want to encourage people once again to become a subscriber to the podcast and even more important, become a financial sponsor of the podcast so that we can bring you all this great content. You can do all that at workinglife.org and click on the podcast tab and look forward to having you back next week.